Hey everyone, this is Christopher Luxon, the former CEO of Air New Zealand. This is John Lee Dumas, the founder and host of Entrepreneurs on Fire. This is Tracy Ibarra. I'm an executive solutions at Dell Technologies. This is Travis Chappell, founder of Build Your Network. If you are wanting to learn how to embrace change, to navigate through disruption as a leader, then listen to the Leadership is Changing podcast. The Leadership is Changing podcast. The Leadership is Changing podcast with my good friend, my very good friend, Dennis Giannoutsos. Welcome to Leadership is Changing. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change. This is taking your leadership to another level by finding the balance between executive excellence and personal well-being through stories that inspire real change. It's time to adapt in our fast-moving world when leadership is changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsos. So I'm originally from Manila. I signed my first offer letter, one of only two in my career for Intel before I got my degree in the engineering, actually. It was a rotation program. My batchmates got into factory planning and logistics whereas I was asked to support them from a training capacity. Uh, and I took that slide as actually a motivation to find ways to enrich my school, chase relevance, and by raising my hand for opportunities and studying leaders ahead of me. One thing led to another after that until I landed in a project manager role, fixing what's broken, more like audit findings, and eventually putting up a proposal and standing up a shared services function. I was promoted like five levels in five years, and I was the youngest at my level for multiple years. I eventually managed that shared services function until I was called upon to do the same for Asia, leading a massive re-engineering and series of consolidations and outsourcing projects. I led the highest priority initiatives for that transformation. Along the way, I got involved in multiple site closures and factory startups. At some point, I was called upon to help prepare Dalian. It's a tier three uh, city in China. Prepare that city for 300 expat families. No knowledge, no experience. We were able to pull that off together. Uh, building homes in Dalian, similar to those of, from Arizona and New Mexico. Setting up an American international <laughs> school in the backyard of Intel. And so many other breakthroughs. After 13 years at Intel, HP found me. And I signed my last offer letter like 11 years ago for a scope very limited to talent mobility for Asia. That was good until like the second week of my onboarding when I told my leader that I can do this job in like, you know, half a day relative to my previous scope and I can do more. And that conversation, cafeteria conversation, led to a whole series of amazing. I was asked to set up the staffing hub in Manila. I immersed myself with multiple roles and eventually uh, was called upon to vie for the Global HR Hub. And that's, that's, I think, when I met you first. A year after that, growing Philippine HR from 7 to 75, I, you know, told my leader, you know, basically mission accomplished. And unless there's anything else, then I'm basically asking permission to answer the call of other leaders wanting to discuss opportunities. That conversation led to my move to Singapore, sharpening our analytics and insights to scale up talent acquisition. So we were hiring like 37,000, you know, level per, per year for multiple years. 
I was supposed to go global TA until I was persuaded to go full-time talent mobility instead with a path towards the global head of mobility role, which I eventually got in 2015. I'm so grateful, really, for the many blessings over the years. HP took a chance on me, an opportunity to play a role where my counterparts have always been based in Silicon Valley. We did some cool stuff along the way, transformation and multiple industry awards later that you know, eventually landed me into a board of directors role for Worldwide ERC. Then I was elected chairman, uh, where this role has never been played by anyone who looks like me, nor has the role been based outside of the U.S. for the last 60 years. I'm, I'm truly grateful. And I've taken inspiration from, uh, from Hamilton, actually, where I tell myself I am not throwing away my shot. So I earn the privilege of the responsibility every day to serve my community, my, my customers, and my team. And that's, that's been the, the journey I, I've been through. Well, man, that's, that's huge. What a, that's fantastic. And thank you for sharing. So you earn the responsibility every day. And, um, and I know you do. I know you do some great things out there, Kuhn. And, you know, uh, for you to be able to go where you are, or where you come from, or where you worked before Manila in the Philippines, and then go out to do things globally on a global stage, it's been brilliant to see you do that. And, um, you know, gosh, wow, going from seven people to seven and five people and growing that, that, that was wonderful. The other thing too I wanted to ask you, so when we say mobility for our listeners, that's just to explain. So then if somebody is going from, let's just say from uh, going from Singapore and they're going to go and live in Silicon Valley, that whole transfer, setting them up, discussions around it and all that, that's the mobility side, right? Correct. So it's all about, again, this HR place within the pillars of attract, retain, develop, and hopefully motivate talent. Mobility supports all of those pillars. At the point of attraction, when we hire people from colleges to where mm -hmm. we are, moving them domestic or international, attracting talent early in their career experience, hires trying to bring them into the company, moving them to where the jobs are, to where our customers are, and at some point, moving them as part of their professional development. So we get involved across all of that, moving talent where uh, you know they, they need to be. Yeah, and I think it's a real testament to you and what you've done in your leadership and growing the organizations that you've grown and that you have now been elected as part of their board that you're part of the ERC and the first person after 60 years outside of the, the United States, is that right? Uh, and having a role there. So someone totally different, someone in Asia Pacific and congratulations on doing that. Thank you very much. Uh, Worldwide ERC is the biggest, uh, it's a not-for-profit not for organization trade organization that supports the global employee mobility community. Everybody in our supply chain doing this role is part of that community. We provide them a lot of support, access to knowledge and uh, advocacy. Tremendous. Great. Well done. Hey, Kerwin, here's a question for you. Let our listeners know, if, who is your favorite leader? Now, this person could be alive or from history. So who's your favorite leader and why? I'll go all of the above and let me address that. Based on uh, even fictional, and I'll, I'll address that based on how my journey in leadership has been influenced by you know, a few of my favorites. Uh, well, number one uh, was uh, Ken Blanchard, Kenneth Blanchard. Uh, he was a lot of my introduction to, to leadership, to management, uh, the one minute series, goal setting, feedback, catching people doing things right. A lot of that still resonates to me until right now. 
And then after that, I I recall my mentor handing me a book on uh, the art of war. And that's something I read through while attending the MBA graduation of my wife. But the better interpretation of the art of war uh, that appealed to me were those from uh, Robert Greene, uh, 48 Laws of Power or 33 Strategies of War. Uh, I like that approach. They curated lessons from history, leadership lessons, strategy lessons from history, and applied those lessons in current situation and some counterpoints as well. Then a mentor of mine, uh, number three, uh, Chin Tech, he's based out of Hong Kong, ingrained in me foundations on making goals clear and important, and then stakeholder management. I used this bar as basis in my career, even afterwards, thinking whatever it is I'm doing, uh, having that conversation mentally, if, is this something that would impress him? So I use that to help me keep moving. Then I got into the Marcus Buckingham series and this whole focus on strengths and one thing you need to know stuff as a leader, as a manager, uh, that made a lasting impact on me. Acceptance, mm-hmm. self-awareness, sort of philosophy as I approach my journey. And then more recently in my talent mobility journey, I embraced uh, Simon Sinek's uh, Start With Why and A.G. Lafley's uh, Playing to Win. Understanding Mm -hmm. that every journey starts with why and how that needs to appeal to many so I can bring many along through a journey. I believe that uh, inspiration is where, inspiration is there when we perceive them to be. So I've picked up a few as well from the likes of, uh, I know you like this guy, Harvey Specter and the Golden State Warriors about dealing with adversity, figuring things out, right way to play, playing with joy. I I just try to keep it more fun that way. Yeah. Harvey Specter, what do you like about him? It's the figuring things out, the vulnerability, uh, exhausting all means possible. When a gun is pointed at you, you have right... 167 ways of figuring things out. So I like that whole uh, mentality, relationship. Yeah. Yeah, and I think, and I think the good thing about, so for, for our listeners, the, the Harvey Specter is a character that's in a, in a um, Netflix type of, or in a series of, called Suits. And uh, he is a senior law uh, partner. And just to see how, as you say, Kerwin, he goes through those different things. But the other thing is, is that the way he stays so calm at times and the way he faces the ambiguity, the unknown, and the way he just actually handles it is just just wonderful. Deb, a big welcome to you to the show. Dennis, my friend, thank you. You know, anytime I get to be in the leadership space with you, it's a great day. Thank you. Awesome. You and I met uh, many years ago, and I'm going to get you to share a little bit more about your background. Before we go there, though, I remember that you and I we were at a John Maxwell, the founding partners event, and they had us sitting down by alph- alphabetical order. That's right. So, so Deb, Dennis, yeah, sounds like they're pretty close. So we were at a table full of, well, I think you were the only Deb, or was it there was one or two, two Debs? Debs? Two Debs, one Dawn, one Dennis, and four Davids. Yeah, there were all the Davids, yeah. <laughs> and you shout at David and all four, yes, turned around at <laughs> the same time. Yeah, so it was great to, to meet you there. And, you know, we've just been friends since then. And, and it's fantastic to to have you on the show. So, Deb, as I said before, love to hear more about your background. So if you can just share a little bit more about Deb. Sure. So th- thanks so much, by the way, for the opportunity to share a little bit. You know, you and I love talking about leadership. There's some things that you talked about in the opening that I definitely want to, you know, connect on a little bit further during today's podcast. 
But my background is I'm a, a New York born and bred girl and was in the corporate world for about 30 years. 23 of those years were with Marshawn Eyewear. And in that role, I had the incredible opportunity to go all around the world and create startup companies, which are now serving customers in more than 80 countries. And in each of those startup teams, the part of the job that I loved the most was developing a team and a leadership mentality and culture in the organization, which allowed us to scale the growth from 50 million to well over 500 million. And that to me was the best part of the job. So I did it for 23 years. You knew I loved it if I did it for that long. And then I had also had on my heart that I wanted to do that full time. That was part of my responsibility. You know, as a senior vice president of brand operations globally, it was only a part of what I got to do. And I wanted to do more of it. So that was actually the reason why I started my own business in 2011. And that was when you and I met at that event in West Palm Beach, Florida, at the famous D table. <laughs> yeah, the D table. <laughs> yeah, every time you want to be in the A table or the number one table, but that was the best table. We was got chosen D for the D table. Exactly. It could have been, could have been Z, the Z table, right? Yep. Yep. And um, and so we were the chosen ones, as you said. So that's pretty cool. That's right. So that's my background, and that's why I ended up launching my own business, because that piece to me, Dennis, when it came to leadership, a leadership culture, a leadership mentality, that is really the key to business growth and, frankly, everybody reaching their personal potential. Yeah. And a lot of people reaching their that potential of themselves, whether it be a leader or something else, they've got a talent, but sometimes they don't always reach that potential or they feel like they can't. And what, what do you think is one thing that could possibly hold people back? And what is one thing you think they need to do to propel themselves? Oh, I love the question. I think what holds many of us back, I know it was true for me, was that I was so used to doing a, a job or having a role that it was difficult for me to see beyond that role. That I thought what I had always done was what I was meant to always do forever. And you talked earlier about, in our introduction, about pivoting. And that, I think, is something all of us need to be better at doing, is to see our own potential. And I think that's the way through it, is to start not looking at what we've done, because that's just a history lesson, right? Yeah. It's really looking at, in what we've done, what were the strengths, the passion, and the purpose that we had behind it? And now... What does the world need today and how do we use those strengths, passion, and purpose in that gap? Yep. So what you've done in the past is a history lesson if you look back and look at it. So that's a good one. And then it's really about seeing further in the, into the future. And, and you're right. I mean, a lot of people, a lot of leaders, they don't actually, they think about the next job and they, they don't, where I actually get to think them, get them to think about the next two or three roles because where right. they're going and what kind of pathway they're on That'd be really ideal rather than just the next role because the next role will determine the next two or three or where they're going in that pathway. You're so right in what you're saying there about things. And, and so, yeah, wonderful. I've got a question here for you, and I've got a few questions, and we're going to go through them deep together here. And the first, the first question is, 
Who is your favorite leader? Now, this person could be alive or from history. Who's your favorite leader and why? Oh, my goodness. I don't like that question. (laughs) And you put an S at the end of leaders. So it's leaders because there's so much, you know, there's so many great leaders in history and even contemporary leaders. You know, I'm one of faith, so I would always kind of lean on, you know, the teachings of Jesus. So I felt it was one of the, the hands down best leader ever. But beyond that, you know, the CEO I had worked for for, you know, 23 years, Al Berg, just a brilliant leader. But if I had to, if I had to only choose one, Dennis, I really think it would have to be our friend John Maxwell. And the reason I say John is because in the course of my leadership and in the course of my corporate and now in the course of being an entrepreneur, you know, for nine years, John has single-handedly been the most influential voice in my ability to move much closer to my own potential as a leader. Yeah. And that voice being there, how has that helped you? I mean, I know you said it's helped you go towards being that entrepreneur and being the best you can be. How has it happened? What 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 may have been some things he may have said to you to help you along that way? Yeah, great question. You know, one of the teachings that John has, uh, he talks about something called the law of the lid. And the law of the lid says that a leader's potential, the leader himself or herself determines the potential of a team, determines the potential of a project getting done effectively. And that in order for us to get better results, in order for us to lead a team to greater results, in order for us to grow a company, in order for us to hit new projects and be creative, that it does require that as leaders, you and I stay in growth mode. And, you know, for many of us, right, we go to school and we think, okay, great, I've graduated. I have now arrived world. Here I am. But the reality is in leadership, there's no arrival point. We are in the phase of development. If we're really a great leader, we are in development for the rest of our lives. Yeah. Yeah. And and you get, it's, I don't know about you, but I've seen people when we finished high school, school, I know the in the US and that you call it a little bit different. So your our high school or our college, as we call it, is, I think is your high school. Um, and our university, as we call it, you call it college, yeah. things like that. But um, when people would leave, they would throw their, when the three left school, they would throw away their books like, oh, I finished yeah. with learning. And I'm like, well, you're only just starting, pal. <laughs> exactly. So, so yeah, life is always throwing things at us to learn. And of course, the law of the lid. It's a, it's a great uh, analogy, a great teaching that he teaches and shares with us about that. And, and you know, I, I think about it all the time. And you're so right, Deb. I mean, that is whereby, that is our responsibility as leaders, right? To right. not only be the best we can be, but also help our teams and our organizations move to new levels. Okay, the, the name of the show this leadership is changing. So when I say that term to you, what does that mean for you? Wow. I, th- I think it's funny. The very first thing that came to mind for me is that, yes, it is. <laughs> but you said leadership is changing. I'm like, yes, it is. And I think our ability to be able to pivot as a leader in the midst of change is the key to our success. That for many folks, you know, and and I was like this years ago, you know, decades ago for me, it was, no, I am how I am, a very rigid approach. 
that, what do you mean the circumstances have changed? Well, let's change the circumstances. I'm not going to pivot, right? And then reality smacked me in the head as well as some a great teachings and development through folks like John. And I realized very clearly that my ability to pivot as a leader and to lean into the change allows me to actually lead the change and not have the change lead me and my team. Thank you for listening to this episode of Leadership is Changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsas. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change, inspiring executives and leaders to adapt and lead a bigger game in a fast-moving world.